So welcome to Awaken. If you don't know me, my name is Frank. I am one of the pastors here, and I wanted to welcome you to the end. That's how we get things started in the morning here. Um, and when I say that, I mean much more than simply the end, the last teaching of our Game of Thrones series, looking at the life of King David and pulling out lessons from his life. And so when I say welcome to the end, I actually mean that. Uh, when I'm talking about the end, I'm actually talking about the end of our lives. And I don't mean that like you're about to face the end in a serial killer way. I mean that today what we're going to do is we're going to think about what you think about when you come to the end of your life. If you want to get a challenge or get a taste of what it's like to be a pastor preparing a sermon week after week, I want you to imagine this. Imagine how challenging it is to prepare a sermon talking about the end of your life to a congregation made predominantly of young people. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. And what are you supposed to say and how are you supposed to make this practical and meaningful for your life? Because that's what we've been doing over the course of seven weeks. It's an eight-week series, and so seven weeks we've gone through learning practical life lessons by examining the example set by King David. And so week one, we talked about what does God see? And God sees what we do when no one else is watching. So live with integrity. In week two, we talked about how the only way to kill giants in our lives is to live by faith and not by sight. Week three, we talked about leadership. And how the purpose of leadership is for us to leverage our influence for the good of others, to bless others, and not simply to enrich ourselves. Week four, we talked about this idea of covenant friendships. And what covenant friendships means is that we stand with one another through thick and thin. Week five, God's will. God's way and God's time. God's will God's way, and God's time. Week six, the story of Bathsheba. Expose your sin to the light if you want to be freed from it. And then last week, Andrew shared on the idea of parents, contend for your kingdom. Contend for the kingdom alongside our kids. Not our kingdom, God's kingdom. So contend for the kingdom alongside your kids. And so what we've seen is that week after week, every week our goal was, and of course there's a lot more shared in each of these weeks. That was a very quick summary, but the goal is that each week to be able to come and take a look at a portion of David's life and pull out what is it that applies to us today. And here we are, right, to learn from the lesson of the man who's the greatest king in Israel's history, a man that God named is after his own heart. And now we have come to the end, the end of David's life and exploring what God might share with us when we're facing the end. The problem, of course, is if I'm betting right, that most of us haven't thought too much about dying, not really thought about it. We all know it's a possibility. Most of us have had someone that we've cared about, someone that we've loved pass away at some point in our lives. So we've been confronted by the specter of death, but that's a very different thing than confronting our own mortality, to think about our own death. How many of you have spent an extended period of time sitting down contemplating your own 
mortality in a serious way. Not just who's going to miss me when I die, or thinking about life insurance and how to make sure my family is cared for when I die, but wrestle with the inevitable reality of it. Thinking about what we think about when we come to the end of our lives. That's the weighty thought and idea that we're going to play with today. David is now at this stage of the story at the end of his life. He has transitioned from strapping youth to young and fierce warrior to mighty king. And it has been a life filled with ups and downs. And he's an old man now. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, Scripture says, King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. Old and cold, not young and hot like all of you in this room, old and cold. That is where David is at in this point in his life. And so when David is in this place of being old and cold, one of David's sons, Adonijah, decides to take advantage of the opportunity to rally some of David's key men and then to declare himself as king. His dad is old, mostly bedridden, and has not been overseeing the kingdom and discharging his responsibilities in the way that he had done in the past. And so Adonijah seizes the opportunity, but it's a bold move. To declare yourself as king while the current king is still alive is a bold move move and yet it almost works you know i i know this is a tangent but i always wonder when i read this story i'm like what is it about david a god man after god's own heart that two of his sons would seek to usurp his throne and it's a crazy thing to imagine maybe it's part of the curse of david's sin but it says something about their relationship absalom succeeded though adonijah did not Instead, what Adonijah does when he declares himself king, gathers some of David's loyal men, is it prompts those closest to David to action. So Bathsheba, his wife, and Nathan, the prophet, his friend, come up with a plan to confront David. And when they do, they remind David of a promise that he had made and challenge him to fulfill it. So verse 13 Go at once to David. So this is Nathan talking to Bathsheba, David's wife. Go at once to King David and say to him, My lord the king, didn't you make a vow and say to me, Your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? And while you're still talking with him, I will come and confirm everything you have said. So Nathan is telling Bathsheba, you go confront him. Remind him of the promise he has made. Ask him why that promise is being usurped by your other son. And then I'm going to come in after you and confirm that, hey, what you've said is true. And we don't know why David has not yet kept his promise, why he hasn't named a successor. Israel has been waiting. And the Bible doesn't tell us why he has left that duty unfulfilled. Maybe he still thinks he's got time. That's a lot of us, right? When we're in the midst and we've made promises that we haven't fulfilled, we tell ourselves, well, there's still time for me to do it later. And maybe David still thought or imagined that he has years left to go, years left to rule, years left to fulfill his promise, 
And Bathsheba and Nathan awaken him to the reality that now you really don't. It takes a trusted friend and his wife to open his eyes and say, David, there are promises that you have made, and now is the time to fulfill them. Now is the time to do what you said you would do. So before we go any further in the story, I want to remind you of something that you all already know, and that's to keep your promises. Keep your promises. You may not be the king of Israel. You may be young. But let me tell you something. Your integrity matters. Your word matters. It's one of the lessons my dad instilled in me when I was young. Multiple times, many times over. My dad was uh, always very busy. And uh, so the times that I got with him and the things he spoke in my life mattered a little bit more to me. And one of the things he emphasized over and over again is that, Frank, you're to be a man of your word. The things you say, fulfill. And my wife and I, we've taken that and we've instilled it in our children as well. Growing up and raising our kids, we have taught them that telling the truth, speaking the truth is absolutely necessary, absolutely vital. And lying is absolutely unacceptable. Lying breaks trust and subsequently breaks relationship. And so if you talk to my kids, they're all back there with kids or in the children's ministry now. But if you talk to my kids, they will tell you that growing up, there was only one crime they could commit, one sin, they could, one act of disobedience that automatically justified double punishment, double spankings. And that was to lie because we wanted our children to understand that you keep your word. You don't deceive because when you do so, you break relationship, you break trust. It is so important. And sometimes we can tend to think that. We can tend to think if the promise is small or the thing it's not that big a deal, then so what if we break our word? If our reasons are good enough, then we should be allowed to break our promises. And respectfully, I disagree. Every unfulfilled promise represents something that's left undone that you should have done. Keep your promises. Verse 28, King David responded, call Bathsheba. And so she came back and stood before the king, and the king repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives, who's rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. So David keeps his promise, and he sets Solomon upon his throne. Again, David is still king, so the significance of this can't be overlooked. He's saying that Solomon... It is going to be my successor. I'm seating him upon my own throne and my own advisors, my men, are acknowledging him as king. And so there becomes this great celebration in the city and people are shouting and cheering and they're crying out, Hail King Solomon. And Adonijah on the other side of town hears the celebration, but he realizes it's not for him and he's wondering what is going on. And he hears the noise, he hears the sounds, and an advisor comes and says, well, is this, it's got to be good news. They're cheering. It's like, no, it's not good news. Your brother Solomon has been anointed king as well. And at that, all of Adonijah's uh, advisors scatter, and Adonijah himself runs to the tent of meeting, runs to the holy place, and there when he sees Solomon, begs for his forgiveness, and Solomon grants it provided that Adonijah remain loyal to him. And it's after all this happens, all this craziness with the transition of kingship, that David pulls his son aside and gives him a final charge. He begins in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. 
As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. When my son turned 16, Josiah, we uh, had this, this celebration, this ritual. The, uh, we ended up taking him to breakfast uh, at Metro Diner. And I invited my dad to come with us. I invited my brother-in-law, JT, to come with us. And the goal was to be able to take some time to have breakfast together and to talk with my son. But more than talk to my son, I think the goal was that we were speaking into his life. And during that time, we talked about the importance of being a man of your word. And it was great to see my son just attentively listening to us. We talked about the importance of working hard. For him specifically, we talked about Josiah, the issue of leadership, and it's important for you to learn how to take responsibility and how to take the initiative. Son, you can't afford to be passive any longer. We talked about being bold and courageous. We talked about women and how they... We talked about a lot of stuff. (laughs) So now I understood that for Josiah, being 16 years old means we only had one more year left with him in our home, and there were some things that realized that as this time is growing short, wanted to instill in him very intentionally, very deliberately, and not just coming from me, but I wanted it coming from his other family as well, other men that he loved and respected. And Josiah, to his credit, he took these things to heart. I gave him a ring as well, a little spinner ring that said, that had a verse inscribed on it, and it said, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? And I told him when I gave it to him, this is the challenge I want you to wrestle with every day, the challenge of being strong and courageous. And this is what David passes on to his son, and I get that as a dad. This is what you want from your son, to be strong and courageous. Do not lose heart be the man. Now, I understand there's great application in this for you women as well, and women, you need to be strong and courageous, especially in the times that we are living in today. Courage is needed. Courage is a necessary part of living the life that God has called us to live, and that's where David goes next. Verse 3, observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, and regulations and laws written in the law of Moses so that you'll be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Obey God and follow all his ways. Do you know what it's going to take for you to be able to do this? Courage. This is what David has learned. Courage has been an essential part of David's life when he was in a youth taking care of his father's sheep. It's a courage to confront the bear, courage to confront the lion. We understand courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is a willingness to move forward and do what is right despite fear. And from his youth, that is the lesson David learned when he faced Goliath, when he was running from King Saul, trusting God to fulfill the promise that he had made to him. David's failures never came from being too bold or too courageous. Instead, they came from those times of fear, weakness, and not keeping faith. And this is what David understood. This is what David had learned. This is what David had lived. And this is what he wanted to pass on to his son. Son, 
have the courage to follow God. He's given you the commands. He's given you the instruction that you need to not only live well, but to rule well. You know, I, uh, it's frustrating for me, and maybe for many of you as well, to look out at this world and to see what it has become. Uh, the world wants us to learn how, or tells us that we need to learn how to be tolerant and to accept sin as being good and good as being sin. And if you don't accept that, if you don't accept the world's way of interpreting what is good and what is not, then you're called names, you're ridiculed, you're marginalized and pushed aside and even at times persecuted. And that can be a difficult thing to bear under. And I know I don't want to harp on this, but I want you to understand that God has a way that we are to live in this world. And we're not to compromise or deviate from that. And the only thing that keeps us living the way God calls us to live is a willingness to set aside the approval of others, to set aside our insecurities, to set aside our fears, and to be bold and courageous. It takes courage to follow God today, a lot of it. And so if I harp on this a little too much and you've gotten the point already, I'm sorry. Just want to make sure you don't miss. Verse 4, if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. This was the precious promise that the Lord had given to David. The promise that David, because of your faithfulness to me, I promise you that someone from your line will always sit on the throne of Israel. And that promise was fulfilled through Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, who is high king forever upon the throne of grace. And then after this, David goes through a, a number of uh, more specific requests or demands or commands he makes of his son. Uh, some unfinished business with Joab, who was uh, David's commander. Deal with Joab for his betrayal of me. To deal with the sons of Barzillai in a good way. To bless them for their kindness. And then, oh yes, deal with that man, Shemaiah, as well. For the insults he cast at me. Solomon, I trust you, son. Deal with them as you see best. But I want to let you know there's some unfinished business there that I need you to complete. I kind of think of these as the Godfather verses, you know? And I didn't know until this day it was Barzine all along. You need to, to settle my business, Michael. And that's the idea that David is doing here. I know that was pretty good for a Chinese man, right? So <laughs> that's what David is doing here. Yesterday, my wife was driving with our daughter Talia in the car, coming back from a car wash. And while they were driving, my wife was telling Talia of our plans to celebrate Danielle's 13th birthday, which is today. She's a teenager. God help us all. I know. Amen. So my wife was driving to the inn, telling her about what we were planning, and so saying, well, we can't have lunch after church because daddy's got this leadership gathering thing that he's kind of got to be 
at, and it obviously wouldn't be a celebration or any fun at all if dad wasn't there. I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but that's the idea that was being communicated. And so as my wife is telling Talia about her plan, she's saying, and so after dinner, we can... In the circle of life, it's the wheel of fortune. She starts singing circle of life. And Talia was sitting there wondering, and so she comes home and tells me about this eagerly. She's like, Dad, she just started singing a song. And when she stopped, I looked at her, and I was like, Mom, what are you doing? And then what, what were you saying about after dinner? And my wife was like, what are you talking about? Oh, I totally forgot. Why did you start singing? And so he's like, I didn't start singing, you did. And it was an awkward conversation. And my wife does this quite often, where she starts a sentence and doesn't complete it, right? Frank, I want you to... And it happens. And my wife does this without any enhancements, without any use of any, you know, drugs, alcohol, and all that stuff. And we love her for it. It's one of her charming features. And I share that because... We want closure. When you start a sentence, finish the sentence. When you start an idea, finish the idea. And more relevant for us today, when you start a life, finish that life. Finish it well. Finish it strong. You know, I know most of you are young and in this room. For you, the idea of how you're finishing life is a bit foreign to you because right now you're caught up in simply starting. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want you to get depressed. I don't want you to walk out of here and saying, gosh, my pastor told me that I need to start contemplating death and my own mortality, so I'm going to go home and spend a couple of days thinking about what it would be like if I die. That's not what I'm saying for you to do. Instead, actually, what I'm hoping you're hearing is that what this morning is all about is how to think about life and to understand that when you're thinking about how you start you always start with the end in mind. You start with the finish line in mind. And godly living means starting with a clear understanding of how God wants you to finish. I heard one pastor share it this way recently that I thought was really cool. He says, live for your eulogy, not your resume. In other words, live for how you want to end, not for how good you're going to look. And if we understand that, if we can make that transition in our heads, it will transform the way we live our lives. Anyone who competes, anyone who you understand that you begin the game with the end in mind, you know where you are headed, you know what goal it is that you want to accomplish, and it's the same way with a life. Know how you're going to end, knowing how you desire it, knowing how God, where God wants to take you, helps you establish how you begin and how you move forward. So there it is, the end, almost. There is one other thing I want to share with you all before we wrap up today, before we wrap up this series, but I put it here in the end because I want to confess this is simply my opinion, and I want you to take it as such. And so what it means is you totally have permission to walk out of here saying, I did not agree with Frank's final thought, and that is totally fine. It's all good. You'd be wrong, but you'd be totally, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so I want to share one final thought with you. It's an observation that I'm going to share because uh, for me, what I hope is that it will challenge you to think differently about how you might 
live. And it's been a couple months since I've used a comic book reference, so that's kind of what you have earned and what you get having a pastor who's a comic nerd. So we're going to talk about Batman. Hopefully most of you know who Batman is. He's a mere mortal who happens to be a superhero as well and capable of doing some amazing things. David is Batman. David is human, but he has done some extraordinary things with his life. He's killed a bear with his bare hands. <laughs> bare hands. He has killed a lion very bravely and powerfully. He has killed Goliath, slain Goliath. He has done some remarkable things with his life. And he's real. Batman's not real, but David was. And but I have this, so David is unquestionably a hero, but I have this against David, and I have this against Batman as well, is they both tend to be a bit of a loner. They're brilliant heroes, they're courageous, but their focus is almost predominantly on accomplishing their goals and not necessarily how I can make others better. And David has had some really great warriors running alongside him, but David was always the greatest of them. David had many children, but most all of them were scarred and damaged. And even Solomon, Solomon started off really well, but he compromised in the middle of his life the same way his daddy did. And I get it. David was the greatest king in the history of Israel, a man after God's own heart. But after going through his life, after teaching through his life, I can't help but, and again, this is where my opinion comes in, I can't help but imagine that David could have done better. And I take that back. I'm going to even go further, and I think David should have done better. And so when I think about the legacy of David and this idea of Batman, I think David should have been a little less Batman and a little more Alfred. You guys know who Alfred is? Alfred was Batman's butler. And what did Alfred do? When Batman came home hurt, Alfred was the one who stitched him up. When Batman came home a bit lost, Alfred was the one that gave him clarity. When Batman got in those modes where he's so consumed with his mission, Alfred was the one who gave him perspective and reminded Batman of what is important. Batman might have been the hero, but Alfred was the hero maker, and every hero needs to have a hero maker. David really wasn't a hero maker, not until the end. Earlier in the story, I shared how Bathsheba had come in to speak with the king uh, to remind him of the promise that he made. You remember this part of the story? To remind him that you would promise to make Solomon king. And, and I skipped over a, a number of different verses just to summarize the story. But there's one I want to come back to that I want to make sure you didn't miss. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 20. And Bathsheba had told David, and now, my lord, the king... All Israel is waiting for you to announce who will become king after you. Another version says, Now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. The eyes of all Israel are watching. This is what legacy means. It means acknowledging that there are people who are watching my life. I may not see them. I may not think about them. I may not even have imagined that that's what they were doing. 
but their eyes on me, their eyes on you. And where you are at your life, whether you're starting somewhere in the middle or maybe a bit closer to the end, I want you to understand that the way you live your life must always be in view of the finish line. And as you're thinking about the finish line and where God wants you to end up, I just want to say, again, this is where my opinion is, that you don't make your life about how great you can become, but how you can elevate and lift up others. David didn't get this until the very end. And God had reminded him of how important this was. Over and over, God had told him, what was the promise? The promise, David, wasn't simply for you. The, day, the promise I'm giving you is for your descendants. If they remain strong, if they remain faithful, they will always sit on the throne. David, that's where your focus needs to be. I get that you're faithful. You're a man after my heart. Build that in your children. Build that in your sons. Build that in your daughters. Not that I think there's anything wrong with seeking to, to do something great with our lives. There's something noble. But I think that if that ends up being our focus, we end up missing something greater. Everyone wants to be Batman, but Alfred is the one who makes Batman. And I think the world could do with a few more Alfreds in the world. That's my thought. Do with it as you will. Let's close up in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, for this precious time of being able to be encouraged and refreshed by the saints, uh, to be able to instruct the saints. And Lord, we thank you for this series, this whole idea of Game of Thrones, which seems so crazy when we started off. And then to actually walk through David's story and to realize that David's story is as wild and crazy and salacious as anything that's out there in the media today. And yet this is a story you have told us with all its high spots and low spots, with all the, the, the brightness and nitty-gritty darkness as well, Lord, so that we might know what it looks like for you to raise up a man after your heart, a man who has wrestled with success and failure. And Lord, we just pray that as we've gone through this series, that we've not simply come to be entertained, but pulled out lessons that we are instilling in our lives even now. And even the one today, to be able to, to launch our lives with the end in mind and to understand that we are to finish well, that we are to finish strong that none of us know when our time is up. We simply know that our lives are in your hands. And if they're in your hands, then we want to live this life the way you have called us to live it and not in the way we might want. Help us to be strong and courageous. Help us to live as you called us to live, to obey your commands despite the temptations and, and the voices of the world. Help us to live this way, Lord honoring you with our lips, with our lives, in all that we do, in Jesus' name, amen.